baby back door, baby fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. The game may be over, but they are just getting started. Raw and unfiltered, this is the OU Insider staff, and this is the Under the Visor postgame podcast. Welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners post-game podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune. And... <laughs> um, Oklahoma lost 48-51 in AT&T Jones Stadium today in Lubbock, Texas, or tonight in Lubbock, Texas. It is approximately... 1 a.m. in the morning on Sunday, uh, we just got back from all the post-game interviews into the hotel and decided we were going to podcast right now while everything's fresh on our brain and all the interviews and everything were fresh on our minds. So, yeah, this season was the epitome of what we saw Oklahoma look like ever since Kansas State in late September. I believe it was September 25th, 6th, when everything kind of turned on its end for Oklahoma this year, right? Would that be correct? September 24th. September 24th. September 24th was the day that Oklahoma lost their first ball game by single digits one score it's been the overall theme of the 2022 season how can you find a way to lose by single digits parker oklahoma is the best of the best of the best at doing it and can we say one thing parker can we just get this out of the way since it's like the topic of all topics right now if anybody blames Dylan Gabriel for this, they're a moron. A moron. Do we need to go through his stats? No, I don't think we do. Well, I mean, and stats don't matter, Parker, right? But six touchdowns matter, and he could have had eight. Two of them were called back. Like, what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? 
other than talking about a six and six team that I don't even want to talk about, to be honest with. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, Brandon. At this point, we can't even say at least it's over because there's still a bowl game that we have to endure. Yeah, thanks, Bedlam. There is there's nothing enjoyable about this team right now. No one is having fun. No. No one is having a good time inside that locker room or outside that locker room. The weirdest part, dude, is that they're acting like everything. Like, I love Danny Stutzman. Let me preface that by saying Danny Stutzman is one of the best people I know on that football team. And his dad is awesome. His mom is awesome. Everybody is awesome in that family. But I don't know that he's had a bad day ever. Ever. You just lost. Your sixth game of the year, your fourth by freaking single digits, your third by three points or less. And you got to, you sit there and say, well, it's adversity. We're going to figure out a way to fight through adversity. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. It's sun, sunshine's going to come at the end of the day. We're going to figure out a way to beat the adversity. We got to keep fighting. We just got to keep smiling on our face and, and not let it get to us. Dude, act pissed. It's okay. It's okay to be mad. Like I thought I thought Theo Weiss was the best because when we interviewed him him we said, "Hey man, you had like a, I don't remember his total stats, but it was like 150 something yards or something like that." He had 3 for 123 and 2. 3 points. for 123. There you go. See, I didn't know the exact touchdown. The other got called back. No, he had two touchdowns. Did he scored twice? Yeah, he scored two bombs, right? Did both of them? Did did he yeah, get tackled yeah. on one? Oh, he got tackled on that one. Yeah, that's right. Where he jumped over in the pass interference, right? Or did he score on that one? She's out of. He did not score on that one. Okay, so okay, so that's neither here nor there. The point being is, is that he had his best game of the season, and you know what he said? I don't care. We lost. Yeah. I don't care. We lost. Look, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell any of these guys that they should handle it this way or that way. I, I, you know, Danny Stutzman's the type of guy that's just wired like that, right? Like you said, he's never had a bad day. He hasn't. And God bless him. It's. I'm jealous of him actually, because <laughs> I wish I could do that. <laughs> and. I think he just has an innate ability to see these types of things for more than what they are at face value. Uh, I think he has an ability to uh, just, I, and I don't know what kind of life he leads outside of football, but it's almost like he walks into and out of the locker room every single day with the knowledge that football isn't his entire life. And that's fine. That's great. Hmm. But I agree. Like, it, and Danny Stutzman again is one of those guys that's going to seem happy. He's going to put on a good face, but I guarantee you, man. No, right now, no one in that locker room is happy. No one's having a good time. We're not having a good time mm-hmm. talking about and covering this team. The fans aren't having a good time watching this team stumble its way to the finish line, like a rat caught in a paper bag or something. 
that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. It feels like they can't get out of their own way. And the only thing holding them back is their inability to collect themselves, figure out what on earth is going on, and be able to create an exit path for themselves. Because time and time again, we see them put themselves in position to win close football games against teams that they should beat. And time and time again, we see them choke away these close football games. This team is four possessions away from being 10 and two. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat this. There's no sugarcoating this. I'm not trying to sound like a sunshine public, but no, it's that, I think that are. more that, that to me, that illustrates how far this team has to go more than how close they are. And that sounds counterintuitive, but when you are 0-4 in one possession games, Brandon, to me, that illustrates that as a football team, you do not know how to win. That's not a skill that you have developed. And I think the harsh reality, and we've kind of touched on this before, we've talked about it. The harsh reality is that so many of the players in this locker room are used to being able to do just enough to get in position to win, and then the quarterback's going to bail them out. The quarterback is going to be their savior. And you know what? You've been able to get away with that in years past. Heck, you could get away with it last year because the guy you had playing quarterback last year is the guy that's probably going to win the Heisman Trophy here in 2022. That's where things are trending. But with the makeup of this team in 2022, with the guy that you got under center, and he's a good quarterback, don't get me wrong, I've been one of his most ardent supporters and defenders, but he's not Caleb Williams. He's not the Heisman Trophy frontrunner. And so at what point is this team going to clue into the fact that they have to do more as a unit? At what point are they going to clue into the fact that the old way of doing things at Oklahoma, the old recipe no longer applies in the new era of Sooner football? Mm -hmm. You no longer can you simply put yourself in position to win a game and trust the quarterback to get you over the top. The Sooners, if they're going to start winning these games, and if they're going to reverse course, and obviously like we're past the point of any of this happening in 2022. Right now we're looking ahead to 2023. There mm-hmm. has to be some serious self-reflection done this offseason. And there has there have to be challenges levied within that locker room amongst these guys to one another. The challenge of, hey, you know what? The way that we used to win football games isn't the way that we're going to be able to win football games in the future. And we're going to have to do more. We're going to have to compete more. We're going to have to execute better if we're going to win these same football games that we were used to winning over the last half decade. Right now, this team is... I feel like I, I came up with a pretty solid analogy pretty solid metaphor spur of the moment right now this team is a rat caught in a paper sack and they can't get out of it 
and they're past the point of being able to get out of it because they're a six and six team headed for a bowl game that doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. And this season is a disappointment. It is, Brandon. I remember sitting here. I remember doing this podcast in August, talking about what rock bottom looked like for Oklahoma in 2022. We thought it was eight and four. We thought it was seven and five. Yeah, it was seven and five. We we talked about this team being able to win as many as 11 games. And if things really went haywire, if things really got ugly, then maybe, just maybe, they fall so far that they're only a seven-win team. They're a six-win team right now. They lost to two programs, <laughs> West Virginia and Texas Tech, that they hadn't lost to in a decade. Yep. And they're three and six in Big 12 play. I get that the Big 12 is a better league here in 2022 than it has been in years past. But man, three and six, that doesn't cut it at the University of Oklahoma. That shouldn't cut it at the University of Oklahoma. Nobody should be satisfied. And there are guys that have played really good football in the midst of all this nonsense. Eric Gray's played really good football. Braden Willis has played outstanding football. CJ Colden has been a freaking revelation over the last month and a half. But at the end of the day, it's not about the individual. It's about the team. And I don't see how any member of this team right now can look themselves in the mirror and be completely satisfied with where things are at right now for this football team. I just, during your whole spiel right there, I was just thinking about the Oklahoma defense. And... Can it ever be fixed? Like, legitimately fixed? Well, I'll say exactly what I said after the West Virginia game, Brandon. There are some guys that just need to graduate and or move on. But we've said that for like a decade. How we... Nothing changes. Nothing has changed. 2015 was the last defense that was... I think they were ranked like 28th overall. 2020 was a good defense, but it was a COVID year. So that just kind of gets thrown into the wolves. And the very first part of the season, the defense was why they were losing. The defense just somehow miraculously turned it on. And in 2021, they weren't what they should have been. With all that talent that was there, they weren't what they should have been. And now you got this year, after witnessing 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, then 2020 being the light at the end of the tunnel, and then 2021, the tunnel starts to dim even more, even with all that talent. And then 2022, it just closes shut again. And it's like, are they ever going to get out of that tunnel? Let me point out one thing that should be an indictment but should also provide some reason for optimism. Why did it take this coaching staff so long to realize that CJ Colden was this good? Why did it take him so long to see the field? 
Because they kept and, playing Jaden Davis. Everybody exactly. plays Jaden Davis. Well, and listen, listen, listen. That's what I'm getting at right there. If we're having this same conversation two years down the road, then things need to change. But how many more C.J. Coldens are there on this defense right now? And I think everybody and their mother would point mm-hmm. to Jaron Kanick as the shining example, right? The guy that rides the bench, but in the eyes of many, shouldn't. Okay, excuse my and, language. Excuse my language. I'm sorry. You got kids, earmuffs. Then why the fuck aren't they playing? <laughs> and, this is the question I find myself asking after watching this defense surrender 51 points to Texas Tech. I, I I just don't get it. I don't get it. Like, I watched that defense, the first four possessions of the game look like the same one that we witnessed the majority of the Baylor game, except for, I, I, I guess, the third and fourth, the half the third and most of the fourth quarter. So two and a half quarters of the Baylor game, Oklahoma was fairly dominant defensively. They held Baylor in check. Until Baylor enforced their posed their will on him in the run game, which should have never happened, should have never happened. But then they go to West Virginia, and the defense literally put the clamps down on West Virginia, a team that at home was averaging over forty points a game at home all year. No matter who came into their house, they put up a forty burger on them, and Oklahoma held them to twenty three points. Oklahoma should have put 40-something up of their own, but they dropped, dropped three freaking touchdowns and then had another one called back for a penalty. Again, shooting themselves in the pee-pee all the time. That's what they do. That's what this Oklahoma team does. Literally can't stay out of their own way. Prime example again tonight. You have all the momentum. You're about to go up 31-6. to six. No, wait, wait. You're about to go – yeah, you were about to go up 31-6, right? Two penalties in a row. It's stunning. Two penalties. It really is stunning. There were touchdowns. Like, it's astonishing how undisciplined this team is. And it's never the same guy. It's usually never the same group. Lack of discipline rears its head so frequently, but with so little repetition if that makes sense you see lack of discipline all across the board but i don't really understand how you fix it when it's everybody that's screwing up it's not like you can pick on one or two guys like you remember years past i would say 2020 and 2021 the offensive line was one unit that was under a lot of fire Mm -hmm. and everybody kind of picked on Tyrese Robinson because he was very penalty prone. Mm -hmm. And Marquise Hayes caught it. Yeah. But he'd always just do the personal foul and he got out of his system and he wouldn't do it. Yeah. But my point is this team is worse, but far worse from a penalties and miscues perspective in 2022 Mm -hmm. than they have been the last couple of years. And yet you don't have a Tyrese Robinson. You don't have anything close to a Tyrese Robinson. You don't have one of those guys that you can single out and say, okay, you take this guy off the field or you diminish his snap count, you're going to address those issues. We saw Woody Washington jump off sides on a third and seven. Yeah, what the hell was that? Like that one, 
that one pissed me off, I think, more than anything. And I don't get pissed because I don't try to show favoritism or anything during a game. But that one literally pissed me off. Because, first off, you're a corner. What yeah, do you, why? What, what the hell? There's maybe no better – there's no single play that encapsulates Oklahoma's lack of discipline from this game more so than that. Did you see Brett Venable's reaction in his face? At yes. The, oh, yes, I was like ejected. He was like, one of my best players just did the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, literally the stupidest thing. Nobody's moving on the whole field except for Woody Washington. How did he get – even the remotely the idea that the ball was snapped when the other 21 players on the damn field were frozen. And I'm just like, at this point, Hey, what the, what was that? What was it? Hey, hey, hey. Is this an episode of impractical jokers? Or I don't know. I, I would have laughed. What, where's was. the curtain in this situation? Because you can't make some of this stuff up. Your best defensive back over the last three seasons, jumping off sides on a third and seven that turns into a third and two that the opposition then converts and route to a drive that tied the football game. And he played well for most of the game. I know there's a lot of yards and points put up, but CJ Colden and Woody Washington were not the problem tonight. Those two played well. You want to know who... Didn't play well tonight. Billy Bowman, Key Lawrence, the the, the position that has been rock solid all damn year, decided to show up on the last freaking game of the season and take a big turd on the fifty yard line of a performance. And nothing, nothing about this makes sense. It I can't doesn't. figure out this team. I can't figure any of this out. Eleven games. I don't have good. solutions. I don't have suggestions. I don't. I don't know at this point what you do with this football team. Twenty twenty two. You just kind of got to. You just kind of got to throw it out. Yeah, it's not the worth the Charmins I wipe my butt with, bro. Um, so, so uh, you know what? I'm glad to know that you invest in top tier toilet paper. Man, four ply, bro. Anything less than four ply is the wrong ply. Um, here's the thing: is at the end of the day, I want the fans that anybody that thinks that oh well, this stuff sucks or blah 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 blah. I want you all to go. I, I well, I know you guys can't, so that's neither here nor there. I wish you all could see what Parker and I get to see after the game and got to witness. We got to talk to them as they're going up the tunnel. Dejected is is like not even given proper credence to what they were feeling and their reaction was to what they what happened today. It was it was heartbreak. Like, I've never seen Coach Bates and Coach Hall look like they looked today after the game. Did you see Coach Bates' face after the game? He stood there in the tunnel staring back at 
all the Texas fans, Texas Tech fans, and then cheering. And he had like this look of like he wanted to kill somebody, number one. <laughs> and normally Coach Hall will Coach Hall and I will talk after the game because we've known each other a long time. And I literally just got a pat on the back and nothing. He just walked, walked off because there's not, there was nothing to say. There was nothing to say. Yeah. Well, and I, I will tell you this. I watched the team stream into the locker room after the game ended. And I don't know how, how many travel for a game, right? Usually like for a road game. 55, 60. Okay. I can't remember the so let's say number. 60. I think it's around 50 or 59 something. of those guys. 59 of those guys filed in without a word. I will yeah. say the first guy into the locker room, and I'm not going to name names, but I will say he is a very prominent player on this football team, starter, impact contributor. I will give you the very sanitized version. He comes in the locker room ahead of everybody else. Completely distraught, shouting, angry, frustrated, talking about how he can't believe this is the way that this team is exiting the Big 12. How he can't believe that this team continues to shoot itself in the foot week after week and I'm I'm not going to repeat what he said. I'm more just going to paraphrase it. But this and again, this is the first guy in the locker room, just off the rails, frustrated. And I will add that it's a guy that does not generally get very ostensibly frustrated. Mm -hmm. Just at his wits' end after what this season has been for Oklahoma, and. I feel as though that, as well as the dejection expressed by the other 59 dudes walking off the field, pretty adequately encapsulate how everybody feels on the inside. Yeah. Right. Within the walls of that locker room, <clears throat> trust me, they're more frustrated than y'all are. They are. And... They don't know either. It's hard to put a finger on. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's something that anybody can put a finger on right now. Yeah. I, I want to, I don't know, like, I'm trying to think. I, I think there's going to be a lot of guys that think about either avoiding playing in the bowl game and or will declare for the portal or declare will declare for the draft, will declare that they're not going to participate in whatever Oklahoma does. I think you might see that stuff start to trickle out over the next 48, 72 hours or so. Some of them, some of them. But there's a, there's a part of me that thinks that this team, these players, 
don't want to go out like that. Well, I think there's going to be some that thought about it if they won and were like seven and five. I'm like, okay, I could go out like that. I don't know. I think there's going to be some that sit there and go, I can't leave this place like this. And Braden Willis has already said, I'm playing in the bowl game. And, and if he plays in the bowl game, there will be others. That there do will the be others that do the same. Because, because people respect Braden Willis. Yeah. Within the walls of that locker room, there are. He had a good game, except for that drop field goal. Yeah, seven catches, 74 yards, two touchdowns for Braden Willis. Uh-huh. It was more the same of what we've seen from him all year with the bizarre exception of the West Virginia game. Yeah. But Braden Willis has said he's playing in the bowl game. Marvin Mims said he's playing in the bowl game. C.J. Colden also said after the game that he's going to play in the bowl game. So you have some key figures, guys that are kind of on the fringe in the public eye as to whether they're going to make the jump or not. Well, I guess Braden Willis is done either way. But right. Mims and Colden kind of unclear there. Right. I, I actually think Mims might return. That's just my gut feeling right now. Um I'll add this because I think it's something that needs to be addressed. We talked about it a little bit before when we first started. The Dylan Gabriel hate got to stop, homies. Y'all got to stop because you're going to wake up. You're going to wake up to him being gone to wherever the hell he wants to go. I don't care if it's the USFL, XFL, if it's the NFL, I don't know. I don't know. But the dude tonight acted like he wasn't sure he was returning. And if you asked him three, four weeks ago, he was going to come back. He was going to come back. You all are going to run him off. And then you're going to be stuck with true freshmen, at court, a true freshman, a redshirt freshman quarterback, and Davis Bevel. Think about it. Think about what y'all are doing. You're running off a dude that's thrown for freaking 11,000 yards in three years. 11,000 yards in three years and almost 100 touchdowns and only 20 interceptions. Think about what y'all are doing. As Parker said earlier, he's not Caleb Williams. He's not Kyler Murray. He's not Baker Mayfield. He's not Jalen Hurts. Do you want to know? How many quarterbacks in this world are those four guys? (laughs) Those four guys and maybe six or seven others. That's it. Two of those guys are probably among the 10 greatest collegiate quarterbacks of the last half century. I would throw Jalen Hurts in there because his his 2019 season was freaking out of this world, dude. If Joe Burrow doesn't exist in 2019 – your, your Heisman Trophy winner is Jalen yeah. Hurts. Yeah, well, again, two of those guys are legitimate college football legends. One of them is the starting quarterback for the best team in the NFL right now. And probably the MVP of the NFL. And yeah. the other one probably locked up the Heisman Trophy tonight. Yeah. Oh, and the guy that came in between, Spencer Rattler, all he did was go and be end Clemson's 40-game home winning streak yeah. today as well. So. Yeah. Look, I, I I will say this, and I don't look through sixty on Tennessee last week. I'm too. not, I'm not going to sit here and bellyache about the public outcry surrounding Dylan Gabriel's play because look, I I disagree with that. I've said that many a time. 
Mm-hmm. I will defend Dylan Gabriel adamantly and without reservation. But I understand that people are upset right now. They're upset with everything. Yeah, They're I get looking that. for any outlet for their frustration. I do want to emphasize, though, kind of in reflection of what you said, Brandon. <laughs> when you get to a point where you feel like anything is better than the status quo, which it seems like some of those some of those fans are there with the quarterback play, which bizarrely enough, like this discourse is happening on the heels of Gabriel throwing for 449 yards and six touchdowns. <laughs> but he <laughs> couldn't throw for like, and if he doesn't have two touchdowns called back, it's like more like 508 touchdowns. Like that, think how bizarre a world that is. Yeah. But when you get to a point where you feel like anything is better than the status quo, it can always get worse. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it can usually get a lot worse. You don't make change for the sake of making change. No, you don't. Um, and fortunately, I don't think the Oklahoma coaching staff is going to make change. Right. Unless and, their hand is forced. And I asked Levy today. I said, oh, I didn't ask him this question. I'm going to get to the question I asked him. I can't remember who asked him. It may have been Eric Bailey or it was Ryan Abair asked him if he thought coach levy thought dylan gabriel was going to return for his junior year i think i mean like he hasn't gotten his hardship yet but he from talking to sources around the program it seems like if he wants to get his hardship medical hardship or he's going to get it so he could he legitimately could be a junior this year junior next year and a senior finally in 2024 if he really wanted to go that route. Now, I don't think he is. I think next year is going to be his final year in college because there's no really point in being a – I mean, he could Jason White it if he wanted to, I guess, but I don't think he wants to. Um, and now, if he got injured next year, maybe. But uh, I think if he gets injured next year, he might as well hang it up because um, you and I both kind of agree that whoever wins that battle between Evers and Arnold – it's probably going to hold on to that position for quite some time. So, and I, I'm being political with that. People are going to be like, oh, you know, it's going to be Jackson Arnold. Okay. Even if I thought that you have to give Nick Evers his due because he was a top 10 quarterback at a high school an elite 11 guy and has a chance to compete for the job if he doesn't transfer at the end of this year. So having said all that, my point to all this is like when when Levy asked when was asked about it, he thinks that he returns. He thinks he returns. But then when Dylan was asked about it, he acted very unsure of the situation. And you and I both know prior to this, he was talking a lot of next year, next year, next year. Now it's I don't know. The only way I only thing I could think of is the hate that he gets, right? That's it. That's the only that's the only that's the only plausible reason is the hate that kid gets. It's unwarranted. Like I know fans are gonna sit there and try to justify their reasoning, just like you said. Like this nobody's gonna sit there and bellyache about it, but something has to be said, and it's the the fact is people like we said we get he's not the elite guys that Oklahoma had for a decade. Like 
we get it. But it's and it, it, it's a very simple observation. But he's only made repeatedly better he, than everybody else. He, <laughs> he shouldn't have to be that. No, guy. no, he shouldn't have to be that guy. Forty-eight points should win you the damn ball game, Parker. Forty-eight points should win you the damn ball game. You should not. Thirty-four have, should win you a ball yeah, game. You should not have to have a superhero a quarterback to be better than six and six. No, and that's essentially this is this is what Oklahoma is or would have been had they not had Hurts, Rattler, Williams, Mayfield, and Murray. This is what they would have been during that run. Right, y'all are seeing it right here, right now. And you're gonna go see. Well, that's why you need to get and have somebody else like Jackson Arnold come and play because he probably could win these games for you. The defense, he does. They don't play defense. And the one thing, see if you can agree with me on this. The one thing that is different now than it was in 21 and 20. In 19, in 18, in, and in 17, and even in 16. You know what the difference is? Is no matter how bad those defenses were, you know what they did? They always scored a damn defensive touchdown when they needed a defensive touchdown. Did they not? West Virginia was a prime example. The Caleb, Caleb Kelly strip sack for touchdown. They had to have it. And they did it. Curtis Bolton, the interception, they had to have it, and they did it. Uh, we can go back. We can name probably 15 other games where the defense either made a big turnover that put Oklahoma in the field position to go win the ball game, and or they scored a touchdown. Now, obviously, C.J. Colden did something like that tonight. He did. That dude, man. You cannot say enough about what he has been for this program over the last six games. But guess what happened? I, I believe, and don't remind me, or don't you need to remind me. I believe Dylan Gabriel got sacked on the third down, did he not? He did get sacked. Yes, you're right. Oh, that's his fault, though, right? It's his fault. Damn it, he should have blocked two. <laughs> I mean, that's the point. Like, and, and see, that's the difference. Like, the other thing those guys had, you want to know what those guys had that isn't – I mean, this this offensive line's good this year. Those guys had offensive line, like some – jeez. They had the best of the best on the offensive yeah. line. Baker Mayfield could have sat down and had a picnic lunch before. Yeah, and Kyler, yeah. Yep. Um, I, here's, here's the thing. If we're isolating this game tonight – you cannot look at this football game and the outcome and conclude that any of the blame falls on the shoulders of the offense. Because again, nope. 48 points should be more than enough to win you a football game against a team like Texas Tech. However, in the grand scheme of this season, yeah, you can blame the told, offense for some things. All yeah. told, yeah, yeah I mean, the, the blame is pretty equally spread across the board. Agreed. And what's maddening is that one week, it's the offense that falls flat on its face for the final 45 minutes against Oklahoma State, and it's the defense that plays the game of their lives. And then the next week, Dylan Gabriel can do no wrong and is dropping absolute firebombs from the pocket, drive in and drive out. And I told you that's exactly what defense can't stop said. a nosebleed. And what I tell you, the prominent coach said that to me right after a few of the interview sessions today, 
I was talking to a prominent coach on the OU coaching staff, and he turned to me and he goes, we just can't play complimentary football. It's one week the offense is doing what they've got to do, and they're putting up hordes of points, and the defense can't make make a stop when they need to make a stop. And then the next week, he goes, the offense can't catch a pass, or a fumble happens when it shouldn't have happened. The yards are always there. It's always a miscue or a penalty or something like that, he said. And then the very next week, the defense can't make a stop. And the offense is putting up 40 points and having to and that, win a nail-biter, and they shouldn't have to do that. And that boils down to complacency, Brandon. I don't know that, what it is. That is the product of being a part of teams for so many years where you got to a certain point and you can afford, you could afford to hit the shutoff switch. Yeah. I okay. Let's talk about it because everybody's gonna want to talk about it here in the next week. In homes are gonna happen. Okay. But there's also gonna be a lot of other movement around college football transfer portal, all that type of stuff. With that being said. This, the team next year, we don't know what the final roster is going to look like just yet. We'll know more or less come January 1st, more or less, because that's when everybody's going to kind of be settled in. And then there'll be sprinkle changes here or there in the spring. But outside of that, you're going to know what the majority of your roster for 2023 is going to look like around January, between January 1st and January 10th or 11th, whenever uh, the national title game's over with. So having said that, how many transfers does Oklahoma have? Number two, do they get one or two big name transfers to come in? And number three, This is just a prediction, people. Obviously, this is going to change. We're doing it on face value, everything that's happening today, trying to project. And obviously, our projection is going to change as we see the roster finalized. But what do you see this team looking like next year? Just envision the transfers, the recruits. You can talk about Peyton Bowen. You can talk about David Higgs. We can talk about transfers coming in that could be big names i mean you don't have to name the transfers that you think but you can say i think there's going to be a big name transfer or two or three to come in that will make significant like be all conference type or something like that and what do you see oklahoma's final record going to be next year because i was talking to dylan buckingham in the tunnel tonight and we kind of got talking about this type of stuff and it's intriguing to think about with this team, with the changes that can be made with the transfer portal, because it's like a free agency type deal. Yeah. Um, I'll say this. I do think Oklahoma makes a splash or two in the transfer portal. I would and agree. I, think, I would agree. I think NIL is going to play a major role in that. I would agree. Um, donate, donate, donate. This, I, and we, like you said, we don't know what this roster is going to look like come this spring or certainly come next fall. What I do think is that this is a program that 
regardless of what exactly it looks like. I think there's going to be enough talent on this roster, enough incumbent talent that they should be able to win 10 games. That said, this is a team that should have been able to win 10 games this year. And they fell way short of that mark. So there is a very obvious difference between being able to win 10 games and actually winning 10 games. And I don't know how many games they win next year. I don't even have a guess because I'm not sure how much growth is reasonable to expect from these guys in the sense of being able to, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, simply win games. Winning is a skill and it's a skill that this team does not have right now. And so if that's the type of thing that you can pick up in a single off season, this is the type of deal where you got the dudes in that locker room that are going to light a fire underneath their teammates the point where you're going to be able to go play those one possession games and come out on the other end, come out on the victorious end. And yeah, I think this is a team that should win double digit games next year, mm-hmm. especially in the big 12, man. especially in the big 12. And I think we both expect Oklahoma to be playing big 12 ball next year, but I, how they close out the, the class. I mean, do you think they close out with a few splashes, maybe a surprise yes. or two? Yes. I think they get to Celia Kana. I think they get Peyton Bowen. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't know. But I think they get those two. The Oklahoma's worst nightmare with David Hicks and Sanford happened tonight. So did it ever. Jeez. Um who saw that one coming? I'm telling you, the LSU, I watched it while I was watching the OU game, obviously in the press box. I had Streaming from my phone and LSU just they look like Oklahoma. <laughs> they, they would drive down the field and literally do something asinine to stop their drive. And if, if this is any consolation to Oklahoma fans, if this is any consolation to anybody, man, 2022 is just a wacky year in college football. It is, it is bizarre. It is truly bizarre. Kansas we have bowling. we have seen some stuff this year. And we aren't even at the finish line. We're we really aren't even close. Who knows what happens next week in conference championship games and come the college football playoff. Oh man. It's well, it'll be a fun few weeks to be a college football fan. Yeah. Um I'm going to be going and watching Peyton and Peyton Bowen and Jackson Arnold take on South Lake Carroll uh, at Northwest High School on Saturday at 2 p.m. But um, for me, with the question that I asked about the transfer, I agree with you. I think there's going to be a splash or two or three that Oklahoma lands. Uh, I think a lot of them, a lot of the splash is going to be on the defensive side of the ball, if I was to guess right now. Just a guess at this juncture. Number two, um, I would, uh, as far as splash on the recruiting, I'm with you. I think kind of, uh, I think there's going to be a name or two that kind of 
comes about and Oklahoma makes a run out, if not lands one of them, maybe two. We'll 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 see how things play out at their school that they're committed to right now first. Um it's an SEC school and their coordinator could be getting a head coach job somewhere. And both these kids are in-state kids. So we'll see if things play. I think one of them is more of a long shot. I'll just say it. Luke has. I think Luke has is a long shot to do anything. I think but. 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 Yeah. There's another one that's a legacy that. I'm, I'll, I'll say it because I think Jackson probably won't care. So the second Anthony Evans decommitted through the uh where he had he told the class jackson texted me and told me and his exact words was micah t's season has started you gotta get that guy and so <laughs> you have to understand like he has a relationship with micah t's because micah t's has been around Remember, Oklahoma was the school for a long time, and he had visited and hung out and did all those things with Jackson, and then all of a sudden now there's this push again, but more offensively. And with that, the relationship that had been previously built just by being around each other is growing because he knows that Tease could make such a big deal and with Oklahoma's class. It would definitely be a big deal. It'd be a big if Oklahoma could somehow pull that off. Oh my God! Is he a sooner? Put your nuts on the table right now. I don't want to say yes or no. I know you want me to put my nuts on the table. Mm-hmm. People are going to think I'm fence running. I'm not fence running. Here's why I'm not saying yes or no. Number one, I haven't really dove into the conversation with Micah, particularly just yet. So and I don't want to speak before I do that. And I haven't talked to his coaches either. Um, my plan is to go up to Tulsa this week and really dive into that. So that's number one. Number two. But if I had to guess right now, and this is me being, I could be completely wrong. I could be completely wrong. So Arkansas fans do not shoot me for saying this. And Oklahoma fans don't shoot me if I'm wrong. No Arkansas fans listening to this. You're you're saying. Uh, probably not true. Uh, especially if I have teeth in the headline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, Go ahead. Say it. Yeah, I do. I think he's going to be a swing. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I do. I think. No, I, I think so too. The in-home, I think the in-home is going to be big. If Oklahoma does what I think they can do with the in-home, look, when you look at the grand scheme of things with Micah Tees right now, you have Gentry Williams, his best friend. You have Jaden Rowe, one of his good friends. You've got RSJ, one of his good friends. You've got uh, – Trying to think who else from Tulsa area is on the team right now. There's a lot. Jordan Kelly. Jordan Kelly. 
there's a lot of Oklahoma guys. Like uh, he's real close with Justin Broyles. Like there's a lot of Oklahoma connections to the T's family because obviously Justin Broyles, oddly enough, played with his brother Miles. That's how long Justin's been around. So, um, yeah, that's weird to say, right? Um, so, at the end of the day, yeah, I think, I think he goes Oklahoma. Like, it it's got to be really weird for him to sit there and say no. And and look, there's a world where I think Miles Slusher is a part of Oklahoma's roster at some point. Like, yeah. That's that's I you I said I reported this on OU Insider already, and I'm not going to dive into all the details. You can go to OU Insider right now, twenty or seventy five percent off uh, through Monday. It's literally twenty six bucks, and you can get it for the whole year. So you, it's literally like going to buy two drinks at Starbucks, and you can get a whole year of OU Insider. It's then you get all of twenty four seven sports. But now that that plugs out of the way, Miles Slusher isn't playing at Arkansas anymore. But he's a former starter and all conference guy. Like that it would be would make... hard to not at least at least look into. I think Oklahoma's gonna look at actually it, I, yeah, they're gonna look into it. It would make a lot of sense for Miles Slusher to be in Norman. It would a lot of sense. I'm not saying it's happening, but I think Oklahoma will look into Miles Slusher being in Norman. On top of that, I think there's going to be some other names that enter the portal. And there's already some names that I think Kyrie Jackson's a name to watch. He's already in the portal. Guess who got him? He was at Alabama. And his coach, Jay Belay, is now Sooners cornerback coach. And those two got along very well, from my understanding. And guess guess who Kyrie chose Alabama over? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. So remember that one well. Yeah. Um, and there was a there was a time where he almost flipped before National Signing Day to Oklahoma. So look, at the end of the day, there is going to be some transfer guys that Oklahoma gets that he OU fans are. And I'm not saying they're going to be like superstars or anything, but I think they're going to be head turners. Like, oh, okay, this guy's going to come in and have a chance to be really, really good. Lastly, I do agree with you, Ipakana. I do agree with you um, with Peyton Bowen. And then when you add the transfer portal and you add potentially Mike Tease to that, if you could get Mike Tease and then maybe Kendrick Blackstone, to the whole deal, Juco Ooh. offensive lineman. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Uh, Keyshawn Blackson. Keyshawn, Keyshawn Blackson, dude, it is two a.m. Yeah. Give me some slack here. When you said Kendrick Blackstone, yeah, my thought was Kendrick Blackshire. Yeah, and I was like <laughs> the linebacker. <laughs> if that dude ended up in Norman, yeah. Now yeah. we're talking. Yeah. Uh. So. Yeah. Keyshawn Blackstone, Oklahoma really likes a lot. They would take him in a heartbeat. They're pushing for him. I think he's a guy that could could end up in the class. I don't know for sure. Obviously, I think a visit's got to take place. Uh, and I think it might here some point in December. 
They've begun looking for experienced tight ends as well. Yes, yes. Owen Olson visited mm-hmm. for the uh, Ineo. Yeah, uh, he's from UConn. Yeah, for whatever. Yeah, what, I know him. I what, what 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 who did they play last he week? Bedlam for senior. He was Bedlam. That's Bedlam, what yeah. it was. Yeah, Oklahoma's actually talked to him quite a bit. Yeah. I talked. Uh, Kyle Morlock. Kyle Morlock uh, is the one. Uh, I can't remember the school that he's from. Uh, Shorter University. University. Yeah. A lot of familiarity there with J.R. Sandlin, who yep. offered him at Jacksonville State back in the day. Yes. So, and Oklahoma's a big player there. So, and he's got some crazy offers like LSU, all kinds of stuff from Shorter University. That's just wild to me. But the the guy can play is really, really good. Probably NFL guy when it's all said and done. So there's going to be some changes to the roster. You're not going to see 46% change like you did the year before. But I could see 20%, give or take, some change. And that's counting the, obviously, the new 2023 class coming in as well. So uh, you're going to have some turnover. You're going to have some turnover. You're going to have some guys go to the NFL that's going to piss you guys off. Because you don't think, you're probably going to think they shouldn't go. And I would probably agree with you. As a matter of fact, I know I would agree with you. One of them being Jalen Redmond. I do not think he's ready. Woody Washington. Do not think he's ready. I'm not saying Woody's going to go. I don't know what he's going to do. But right now, Jalen Redmond's leaning towards the NFL. He's got a child, a young child. And the people around him are trying to push him to stay a year and learn under Bates and really get good in Brent Venable's system. Because Brent Venable's system, once you understand it, as a defensive lineman and you get really good to where you're not thinking and you're just reacting and doing with Redmond's talent, you're talking about a day two type guy instead of a day three or four type guy right now. So there's a lot of people trying to talk him into that. Um, Obviously people are trying to discuss, talk to CJ Colden into coming back. uh, Man, they they need that guy back. Yeah. They need that guy back. And they're they're like, I'm going to say this. And I'm not trying to sound hyperbolic. There may not be a guy that they need back more than CJ Colton. He changed. Yeah, he changed the defense. The secondary, secondary man. Secondary. The secondary was in dire straits. Yeah. Before he got out there at the quarterback position midseason and started locking things down. Yeah. And especially if you lose Woody Washington to the NFL, man. Colden is a guy that you need back in the fold, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Do whatever it takes to get that guy back for another year in Crimson Green. Yeah. No, I look, there's a lot of changes going to happen. We're going to discuss this on the lead, the podcast coming up later on this week. Um, so, but yeah, I, look, Oklahoma lost 58, 51, the 48 last second overtime field goal, whatever you want to call it. Um, just a crappy ending to a crappy year. And I know you all are frustrated, OU fans. I know, I know, I know. But as Parker and I just really dove deep into for you guys, we both expect it to be better next year. Like, it's got to be better. Because if it's not better next year, there is going to be – I'll say it. I think the staff will be in the hot seat if that happens. This is Oklahoma. And this whole notion of, oh, man, 
they're going to turn into Nebraska. Watch this. Get out of here with that bull crap. And here's here's what I need to point out as well. We and and I, I know I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to mention it again. Go for it. This team is four possessions away from ten and two. Yeah. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat it because six and six is six and six. It's a reality. But what I am trying to tell you is that those are the types of football games that will go in Oklahoma's favor as the culture improves. <laughs> Mm-hmm. as the resilience improves as the capacity to play complementary football improves right now you're not looking at a situation like you have at miami for instance hmm. miami is five and seven right now they will not be going to a bowl game and they were on the wrong end of several blowout losses this year i mean losses that were not close and inexcusably so we're not talking a 49 to nothing because you didn't have a quarterback with an arm type of blowout. Miami, as Brandon is now pointing out to me, live and in real time, just lost 42 to 16 to Pitt. And that's far from their worst loss of the season. In fact, it may not even be top three. So right now there are programs across college football that are legitimately in danger of becoming the next Nebraska. I would not put Oklahoma on that list. I think it's very premature to be making that call. So if you all want to know where Miami stands with their losses this year, (laughs) I'm not laughing at them. I'm sorry. That's not right. Middle Tennessee, 45-31 loss. They barely lost to North Carolina. They beat Virginia Tech. They get thumped by Duke, 45-21. They beat Virginia. They lose to Florida State, 45-3. They beat Georgia Tech. They lose to Clemson, 40-10. And then they lose to Pittsburgh, 42-16. I know that a loss is a loss is a loss is a loss. But you would much rather be Oklahoma where you're losing by one possession games or three points or last second field goals whatever because you know that they're and I know this is a word y'all hate I hate it too you know things are closer than you than they're just closer there 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 are a few things here or there from being wins and again not to be hyperbolic just like he was Go look at 20, 2007 Alabama, Nick Saban's first year. Mind you, Alabama was 10-3 and three two years before that. They were 6-6 six and six the year before, or 7-8-4 or something like that, the year before Saban that they fired Shula. They bring Nick Saban in, and they go 6-6 six and six on the season. They win their bowl game. They go 7-6. and six. Just like Oklahoma this year. They lost four, four of their six ball games by single digits. And they lost their last four games of the year. One of them, I believe, was the University of Louisiana Monroe. Is that correct? That is correct. So, and 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 if you go back to it, when you talk to Saban about his first year, he says it. He goes, we pushed them so hard. They were exhausted. 
They didn't know how to win. They didn't know how to do a lot of things because the culture was so messed up. There was a culture of, yeah, they win, but there wasn't a culture of doing the things that needed to be done to win consistently and to win efficiently. And the efficiently and consistently is what got them over to the national title. And that's exactly what Venables is trying to push. It's what he's trying to do at Oklahoma because the same formula was pushed at Clemson. And look where they got. He's using the Alabama and Clemson formula and the Georgia formula. The same thing Kirby Smart did. Kirby Smart was seven and five his first year. Seven and five. They barely beat a couple of just crap teams. And then all of a sudden, year two, things start to click for both programs. Alabama's playing for the SEC title in 2008. They lose to Florida, but they're playing for it. 2017, Georgia goes to the national title game after being 7-5 the year before. You know what Oklahoma, Georgia, and Alabama both are doing, like all three have in common outside of their inaugural seasons? You know what they have in common? National championships. No. What do they have in common that could help them get over that hump and then start pushing? What helped, what helped push Alabama and Georgia the very next year? What did they do that offseason? They recruited? They recruited. What do you think Oklahoma's been doing? They've got the, what, the number seven or eight class in the country? Right? Number seven class. Number right seven now. in the country. Yeah, number seven class. You land in number seven class, six, five, four, three, it doesn't matter. You land a top ten class. Top ten is national championship winning classes. That's all that is. You land top ten class, and that would be Oklahoma, I think, fourth in the last five years that they were top ten. So eventually you're going to start seeing the people that buy into Venable's system and the culture, you're going to start seeing it pay off on the field big time. That's my prediction. So be pissed off. Be mad about this because mediocrity sucks. It's Oklahoma. Oklahoma's better than this crap. I agree. It's embarrassing how some of these guys are playing. I agree. But know that it is going to get better. The future is still bright at Oklahoma, regardless of what's going on on the field right now. You've got dudes coming in that can change everything, and you've got guys going out that are the problem. Some of them are the problem. Some of them just are. So relax. Still, six and six sucks. It's the worst. It has been no fun at coming this bunker out this year. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's so frustrating. All right. Um, if you're not following this YouTube channel, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Hit that subscribe and like button down there. Um, if you're not an OU Insider VIP member, you're running out of time if you want to get a hold of this promo. It's legit. Black Friday, Cyber Monday. We started it last Wednesday. Sign up, sign up, sign up, sign up, sign up. Oh, my gosh. 
It's cheap. Literally $26 will get you all the way through National Signing Day, all the way almost up to National Signing Day for the 2024 class. Think about that. You'll get 23. You'll get all the visits. You'll get all the offseason. You'll get the ball game. You'll get all the transfer stuff. You'll get the spring practices. You'll get the, all the junior days. You'll get the champion barbecue. You'll get the party in the palace. You'll get the football season for 2023. Uh, you'll get all that type of stuff. And then right before you'll upgrade or re-sign up uh, right before the 2024 signing day happens. But you'll get all that stuff plus every single VIP site on 24-7 Sports, all for 26 bucks. It's regularly like $108, folks. That is an unbelievable price. So sign up with us, OUinsider.com VIP. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are already on OU Insider. Our board is crazy. Well, I admit it. There's some wild stuff that goes on, but we bring notes. As a matter of fact, I brought a whole bunch of notes this morning, recruiting, VIP recruiting, VIP team notes all this morning. And I did a pregame chat for everybody that wanted VIP questions and insider stuff that they wanted to know was answered and done. And then obviously Parker does his pregame P. He's got his postgame P coming up, postmortem P. Every time it's a loss, postmortem P coming up, <laughs> uh, where he answers all you guys' questions. And then I come in, I do some Q&A. Uh, give my thoughts on the game, uh, give some recruiting stuff, background, some VIP information on that as well. And we'll have you guys covered head to toe uh, all the way through National Signing Day. And homes are about to start. So we're going to start talking about who saw what and who did what and who who's, who Oklahoma's pushing for in class, what schools are stopping by for the 24, 25 classes as well. All that's going to be on OU Insider VIP. National Signing Day is going to be awesomely covered for you guys. We're going to be sprawled out all over across the nation uh, at signings, uh, getting a whole bunch of information for you guys. Uh, we'll have it for you on OU Insider VIP. It will be covered better than you'll find anywhere else. People tell us that all the time, uh, so I guess I can say it. Um, I feel like we do a really good job for you guys, and I hope we do. Um, and we hope to see you guys on there. Uh, anyways, uh, we're, we're as large as we're, we're at a record high right now, by the way, of members once again, and we're at record high of uh, page views as well and sessions. And that's all thanks to you all. We're blessed to be able to do it regardless of the season being bad. We are blessed to be able to cover Oklahoma sports for you. OU basketball plays tomorrow. We'll have that covered for you as well as they take on Ole Miss. Uh, Dick Vitale is going to be on the call, so that'll be cool. Uh, anyways. That's going to do it for this post-game podcast. Oklahoma ends the season 6-6. Six and six. We'll discuss the bowl game as it gets closer. We don't know who they're going to play or where they're going to be. A lot of rumors about Orlando taking on Notre Dame. Let's hope that happens. That would be a fun-ass game to go to. Uh, so anyways, and plus Disney. So uh, <laughs> they cheese a ball. Who cares? All right. That's going to do it for this version of the OU Insider Under the Visor Students post-game podcast. For Parker Thune, my name is Brandon Drum, Oklahoma loss, 51-48. Bummer, bummer, bummer. But we'll see you guys later on this week as we talk recruiting and transfers, baby. Can't wait. All right, you all have a blessed day.